Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre as we are right in the thick of the grass court season already. And Mike, it's crazy just how quickly this season comes and it goes Wimbledon already just around the corner. We've had one, a couple tournaments already played and it, and it just goes very rapidly. Uh, and I should also mention that we have a guest this week, collegiate star and Canadian Lane Sleeth, who's now uh, set to begin her pro career. You had a chance to speak with her. Right. And before we uh, launch over to that interview and, and always great to have the young Canadians on, on the program and especially one who's had some success lately, but before we get to that, just grass court tennis, I was trying to think of, what is it, you know, my relationship with grass court tennis? How would I describe it? What's an analogy? And I think it's kind of like, you know, that really good friend you have in life that you might only get to see once a year. Mm. But when you see them, it just clicks and it feels right. And you pick up right where you left off. Yeah. And that's where it is for me with grass court tennis. It's a very short season, obviously, compared to hard court, indoor and um, and clay, which we just got through. But it, it just feels right to me. It just clicks, and I love seeing it. The, the visual, you know, of the grass on, on TV, or if you're lucky enough to, to be there to see it in person. Uh, the the fast-paced tennis. I know it's not so much serve and volley anymore, but I love it when we see a little bit of that from players. And it just feels like the right fit to me, even though it's such a short, short visit that we have each year together. Yeah, I think that's well said. It, it To me, it's the most unique surface of any of them on the tour, without a doubt. And yes, you just get that brief window of time where you get to see it. So why not embrace it? Because it does go by very, very quickly. We'll get into all of that. Um, and obviously, have you, return... have you ever played on grass court? I got to ask you. I don't know if I've asked you this before. No, I, played on a grass I, court? I, I actually haven't played on grass. I think I played on a kind of like a carpet surface once, which I think I think is you know a bit similar to the idea like it was very quick and low bouncing but it, it wasn't grass so i i really want to experience that one day i haven't either but i played on like it was almost like not like an astro turf but it wasn't a natural grass either but it looked like grass courts and it was when mm. i was in scotland a few years ago on one of those double decker bus tours with my dad and it was one where you could hop on and hop off anywhere you wanted and lo and behold we're driving through this neighborhood and i see these courts that i think are grass courts and i'm like dad we got to get off we got to go see and we had our first hit in probably like i don't know seven or eight years together and it wasn't real grass but it kind of looked like it and we were overseas so it had a pretty cool vibe to it all the same that's awesome that's yeah. awesome well it's it's some something that's definitely on the bucket list for me i'll have to experience it at some point i, I haven't really tracked down a grass court in canada maybe maybe we need to you and far between eh? yeah no yeah. no kidding um before we delve into more of the grass court season we'll get into your interview with the collegiate tennis star and canadian lane sleeth Happy to welcome to Matchpoint Canada, Lane Sleaf, Canadian Lane Sleaf, who just wrapped up her college career with the Oklahoma Sooners by making the NCAA singles finals. She's a two-time All-American and 2022 Newcomer of the Year as well. And I believe this is the first time we've had you on the podcast. So uh, welcome and, and thanks for taking the time today. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Uh, congrats, uh, first of all, on, on wrapping up a very successful college career. Um, for someone who's been following you from a distance, I, I can't believe you're already at the end of that journey and that it's gone by so quickly. But you tell me from your perspective, did it did it feel like a quick run for, for you? Uh, it definitely flew by, but there were some moments that felt long. But 
yeah, honestly, the four years, I can't believe that I'm finally done and graduated. Tell us a little bit about uh, the recent experience, uh, getting all the way to, to becoming the finalist at the NCAA championship. Uh, what was clicking for you in particular in that tournament and, and what was the whole experience at the finals like for you? I mean, that was a dream come true. Um, obviously, I wanted to win it, but uh, honestly, I played some of the best tennis uh, that I've played all season. So I'm happy I could I could do that at the end when it counted the most. And I just went out there and battled and I wanted to get like the win for my school. And, yeah. Tell us a little bit about how you got to Oklahoma, because you, you began your college career in, in Florida. And uh, it was just this year that you made that transition. Was it for your final year? So what was kind of the lead up that uh, that got you to Oklahoma, which obviously was a, a great decision, just judging by how things finished off for you? Uh, yeah, so I did two years at University of Florida, and then I entered the transfer portal. And honestly, I was just looking for a really good coach. So I started doing research on that. And I came across Audra Cohen. And she was one of the few coaches that I talked to her in. We just clicked and that was it. And I knew that was the school I wanted to go to. For young girls who are considering, you know, talented young athletes who are considering, you know, what to do next, whether it be turn professional, try the ITF circuit, or potentially go the college route, what kind of advice or experience would you share with them from the choices that you made? I think definitely the college route is uh, super helpful. You can learn a lot of tools there and it's, it's a good stepping stone to, turn pro after that I think you experience a lot and go through some struggles in college but you definitely learn a lot was that an obvious choice for you were you always sort of you know moving towards that path to go the the college route or was there any consideration to perhaps turning pro or, or playing on the ITF tour and and not going that route instead yeah no everyone was telling me that I should just go straight to the pros and then so I started looking at school super late and my dad really wanted me to get an education so I basically went to school to get an education, but I'm super happy I did go. How tough is it being a uh, a college athlete while having to balance all those academic sort of responsibilities? First of all, what what program did you take? Like, what is it that you ended up with? Uh, you know, what were you studying or focusing on? You know, for the most part, and and how challenging was it to balance those those two sides as athlete and and student simultaneously? Yes, yeah, so I graduated with sociology, and it was definitely a struggle to balance school and tennis together. I'm not the biggest fan of school, so my priority was definitely tennis, but I managed to get through it. And are professors, like, are your profs pretty understanding, or do they give you a hard time? Like, are the deadlines a little bit on the flexible side, or do you have to, you know, hand things in and, and have the same sort of responsibilities and pressures as, as any college student? It really depends on the professor that you get, but some of them are a little more easygoing, but some of them just treat you like a regular student and you just have to hand in everything, I guess, on time. Any more school in your future or is that it done with the books, putting that away now? That's it. No more school <laughs> for me. I'm done with it. No, no hesitation with that question, eh? No. No. So what? what is next? Tell us, what's your plan, both maybe short term and, and longer term in terms of what you're doing um, moving forward now? So I'm going to play, obviously, all the Canadian tournaments this summer. And my next tournament is June 12th, the 60K in South Carolina. So I'm just going to go grind out the tour. So hardcore events, like, for the, the short term, I guess, is that what you're going to be playing on mostly? Yeah, mostly hardcore. Yeah. And how about the National Bank Open this summer? Will you be hoping to get into qualifying there, I guess? 
Yeah, I'm hoping to, to play that. Now, were there other Canadians that, you know, you went to school with, whether it be in Florida or, or Oklahoma, that, um, you know, you kind of stuck together throughout that process? Or did you find that your friend group and your social network was, uh, you know, the American players that you were meeting while you were down there? Um, I would say mostly American, but um, me and Ariana have stuck close together. Um, Ariana Arsenal? All-American, yeah. She became an All-American last week also. That was pretty cool. And is she going to be, are you going to be seeing each other this summer, kind of training, practicing, going to some of the same tournaments this summer then? Yeah, I think we're basically playing the exact same schedule this summer, so that would be cool. So the goal is to is to have a go at it with, with tennis then, is that right, I guess, at this point? Yeah, definitely. Definitely Keeping want to make it in the pros. Yeah. Keeping any association with, with your coach from Oklahoma, or how does that work now? Who will you be traveling with? Who will be sort of, you know, helping you moving forward now that your college career is done? Uh, so I'll be training at Saddlebrook. Um, not really sure who I'm going to travel with. Probably travel with my mom for a little bit and then just see how that goes. And and right now, French Open going on. So I'm just wondering, are, are you someone, aside from playing tennis, obviously, do you watch a lot of tennis? Do you watch a lot of professional matches? Is Have you got an eye on the Grand Slam action as it's starting right now on the clay over in Paris? Yeah, I definitely do watch a little bit of tennis. I mean, I'm not a crazy tennis fan. Like I'd rather be out there playing myself, but I do like watch it a little bit and keep up. Any players that you particularly look to as either, you know, someone whose game that you really admire or or just someone who you've looked up to, you know, growing up as a young tennis player who's on the professional tour right now? Um, I would say I love to watch Coco Golf play, just the way she battles and competes. It's probably my favorite thing about her game. Is there something also about the fact that, what are you, about the same age too, I would imagine, as, as Coco, is that right? Yeah, she's a couple years younger than me, but yeah. What's the big difference between, I mean, you've played at, you know, different tournaments before. You've, you've been at uh, the National Bank Open around hitting and, and seeing all the action. What's the difference in, in, I don't know if quality is the right word, but just the pace of the ball and the way that it, it is competing at a college level versus, you know, the tournaments you're going to play this summer and, and wanting to be a professional to play week in, week out with that level of player? What's the, the difference? I would say the difference is um, probably the quality of ball, like doing it over and over and over again. Like, I think college was a super high level um, this year, but I think the pros just do it, like, consistently a lot better. Is there anything in your game right now that you're looking to sort of continue to evolve or take to another level to be able to do that consistently then? Definitely just playing more aggressive and trying to come into the net as much as I can and finish up the net. What are you going to miss the most about playing college tennis or, or just the whole college experience that you've had the past few years? Definitely going to miss my team and coaches the most, just competing as a team. Like There's truly nothing like it. You go out there and just battle as one and you leave your heart on the court Like no matter what happens. That's probably my favorite thing about college. Big difference between that and, and a, a career as a pro where you're kind of out there slugging it out more on your own, I guess, eh? Yeah, for sure. You're looking forward to it, though? Are you feeling excited now that this chapter is sort of closing and you're about to embark on another? Like, what kind of feelings are, are going through you at this moment? Yeah, I'm super excited just to get on the pro circuit and just see how I can do and just do the best that I can. Well, for fans of yours who are up here in Canada, what tournament specifically can they maybe expect to see you at throughout the, the summer swing? Um, I will be playing, I want to say it's Saskatoon is the first one, and then Granby, hopefully National Bank, 
And then I think Toronto's in October. I'd have to be playing all of those. Right on. Well, hey, look, we're we're excited to see what can happen next for you and uh, all the best moving forward. Looking forward to catching up with you in person, hopefully this summer in Montreal for the National Bank Open. And uh, once again, just uh, thanks for taking some time out of your schedule today to fill us in on what you've been through and, uh, you know, very successful career. You're uh, definitely an inspiration for a lot of young Canadians who might want to go that route, I would say. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. There you have it, your conversation with Lane Sleeth. I actually had a chance to watch one of her matches uh, last fall uh, at the Tevlin Challenger and, and watched her win a match. And I was struck by her pointing out that she wants to play a little more aggressively as she moves into her pro career, which I think is very crucial because, you know, I was watching her and she won handily, but wow, was she ever grinding. Like incredible movement side to side. She's a really talented defensive player who can get a lot of balls and frustrate a lot of players, but then making that transition to the pro level, I, I think her kind of trusting and, and hitting even harder, attacking more is what's going to really take her game uh, the next level. Yeah, I think she's primed to have a good go of it and and make a run as a pro here. I mean, I was looking at her ranking history and she was on the cusp of the top 500 in the women's game back in like 2019 or so. And, and you know, how much she's she's evolved since then through her college experience and Ending on such a high, as she mentioned, and we talked about making the NCAA championship uh, finals, which is a you know incredible way for her to finish things off. And so I think you know if she can get into some uh, you know regular tournament play, obviously starting at the ITF level, she's planning on playing a, a full swing in Canada this summer, of which there's plenty of tournaments uh, for our young players to get involved with. I think she's got the right mindset. Good on her for going and getting that schooling done, even though it sounds like it. Maybe it wasn't her favorite thing in the world, the academic mm -hmm. side of things, but, uh, you know, good on her. And there's this crew of, of young Canadian women who have gone the college route, and we've talked to a few of them before now. Ariana Arsenault, who she mentioned earlier in the interview, Jada Bowie as well, uh, Carson Branstein, who we've talked to. Yep. And some have had, you know, really big highs, like how Sleeth finished things off. Some have had some real, you know, hurdles to get through, like Carson Branstein and her injury troubles. Jada Bowie as well, and, and bouncing around from schools, trying to find something that clicks for her. Um, but I think Lane Sleeth seems like uh, she had one of the more positive experiences of the young women that we've had on the podcast before. Yeah, definitely. And and I, I think we're also waiting waiting to see, I guess, if uh, Vicky Maboko or Kayla Cross, Marina Stokoshik, if they choose that college route, if that's what's going to suit them, or do they immediately turn pro and give a go of it uh, at that younger age? I guess we'll wait and see, but definitely the right path, I think, for Lane Sleeth. And of course, there will be opportunities to see her this summer. Hopefully, uh, she's at least in qualifying in, in Montreal at the National Bank Open. I, I think that will certainly be the case. Hope so. I mean, they've got that pre-quality tournament as well, I think. But I think given the way that she's ended things so strongly in the college route uh, and she's only 21 years old, you want to reward players like that, especially ones that are now making that transition to be pros, kind of dangle that carrot, give them something to experience and sink their teeth into. And uh, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see, because as you mentioned, there, there are a slew of, of young Canadian women that also could be deserving and in the mix. Kayla Cross and Victoria Maboko, who, if memory serves correctly, both got main draw wild cards last year and uh, and both perform really admirably especially Maboko who we both were pretty stunned with you know the power and the poise that she brought at such a young age already yeah no no kidding um, I'm sure she'll be back we'll be following all of them through the summer we're of course following the grass court campaign and I mean the biggest story from the past week certainly in the Canadian tennis front and I thought 
in just tennis in general was the return of Milos Raonic to have a former Wimbledon finalist, a former world number three, get back to the court after such a long time off, nearly two years. Not only that, but getting out in Hurtagenbosch and, and winning a match and defeating a very good player, Miromir Kekmanovic, 6-3, 6-4. Uh, so, so impressive before losing to Jordan Thompson, his following match. I know he's pulled out of Queen's Club with a, an apparent shoulder injury, but he expressed his intention to play Wimbledon. And for me, this was uh, a positive start. Yeah, so let's look at the positives. And for me, one positive is the fact I can now pronounce her target Bosch, thanks to you, and following your, your lead after years of avoiding and kind of, I don't know if you notice, I always stayed quiet with it and let you take the lead on that one, but I've got it now. I can spell it now too, which is great because I've been wow. doing some writing for the National Bank Open. That's helping. Uh, but the positive is seeing him back on the tennis court because for the longest time, tennis fans, tennis media members, we were all wondering what's going to happen with Milos. And the longer it went on, the more likely it seemed, ah, oh, what's going to bring him back? It's been six months. It's been a year, year and a half, almost two years now. And, you know, we were kind of in the know back around, I want to say Christmas time, that he was, you know, making an effort to come back, but also realistically not knowing if he was going to overcome those, you know, physical injuries that hampered him for so long. So to see him back on the court and to see him looking so absolutely fit for him, I mean, that's the fittest I've seen Milos look, maybe even ever, I got to be honest. He's been putting in the time clearly, um, and he had an interview with our friend Mark Masters recently, uh, Canadian sportscaster from, from TSN. And if you go to tsn.ca, you can find that interview with, with Milos. And, you know, great to hear that he wants this to work, but he's also being cautiously optimistic. And, and it seems like he's encountering, you know, injury issues early on. And, and I want to say ones that are probably related to what took him off the tour last time, his Achilles and the toe uh, issues that he wants to at least play Wimbledon and play in Toronto at the National Bank Open one more time. But that if he's healthy, the vibe I got from that interview was that if he's healthy and if he's able to string together some tournaments, that he wants to give it a go and he's only 32 years old. So, yes, he's got this shoulder issue, maybe just all that serving, all those aces that he was dropping in that, that first match in particular. Uh, maybe he's just being precautionary because Wimbledon's going to be best of five. I hope that's the case. But mm -hmm. I am glad to hear it's nothing related to those injuries that took him off the tour for so long. Yeah, and look, I, I think you're you're bang on in, in saying sort of this summer and what's ahead with playing Wimbledon, it's almost like a test run to see can my body hold up and, and survive and can I keep doing this for more of a prolonged period of time? Uh, and, and he talked about really being keen on playing in Toronto. So like, I'm pretty confident we, we do get to see him at the National Bank Open that he's going to give it a go and he... It sounds by the fact that he is pulling out of Queen's Club, if that is precautionary, he's really taking care of his body, not wanting to risk anything. And I mean, the benefit of grass here is it is shorter points. I think it is a little less taxing on his body as opposed to, you know, if we we were never going to see Milos come back and grind it out uh, in the clay courts swing. That was never going to happen. You know, I might make a prediction that we may never see Brownage on a clay court again in his career. But uh, if he sort of manages this, this correctly, and I think for him, you know, losing probably 30 plus pounds and looking as lean as and fit as he is now could make a big difference in, in prolonging this career maybe a couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. And, and listen, if you're in a grass court tournament and you see your name next to Milos Raonic, I don't care who you are, you're not happy with that draw. doesn't matter what round it is. doesn't matter what your seed is. You see that you're going to be playing someone who's made the Wimbledon finals, who's just, his game is just, you know, made for grass court. 
look out as Kikmanovich found out in that opening round match. I mean, I'd love to have heard from him to find out what was your mindset going in. Did you think it was going to be a, you know, an easy one going up against a player who hasn't played in two years. And, and that was huge for Milos to get that win because even I was surprised just given the length of time he was off tour, I think to come back after nearly two years off, who comes back and gets a win right away? I mean, how many players have we seen come back from layoffs that are far less than that? You know, one that comes to mind for me is Dominic team mm-hmm. and how tough it was for him in the early going. So must've been a huge confidence boost for Milos. And, and like we said earlier, just, you know, hope that this recent setback is, uh, is minimal in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I, I hope so as well. And as for that tournament, it was Tyon Greekspoor who went on to win it. If we shift over to last week from Stuttgart, I mean, the big storyline for me here was uh, we have another American joining the top 10, Francis Tiafa winning the first grass court title of his career there in Stuttgart, defeating Jan Leonard Struff in the final. He now debuts inside the top 10, number 10, and joins Amer- uh, fellow American Taylor Fritz inside that top 10. Uh, look, Tiafa's been building towards this i think for a while obviously we saw the big breakthrough last summer when he made that run to the semifinals of the u.s open beating rafael nadal here and this is also a very cool tidbit he did uh, one of those tennis tv atp videos before the grass court swing and it had all these predictions murray was in it her catch was in it and tiafo was one of the guys being interviewed and they're like giving predictions for tournaments and he was asked who's going to win stuttgart and he was like well me, I'm going to win it. <laughs> and sure enough, he did. Love it. So, and there, and yeah, there you go. I like that confidence. And I, I think for me, he's one of the more entertaining, exciting young players uh, that we have today. Love him. He's got that crossover appeal. You know, he was at the NBA All-Star game. He's got the ability to bring way more people to the table, bring new fans into tennis. Yep. And we need that. Tennis can't stay stagnant. No sport can afford to sit back and rest on its laurels. And tennis, one that's not a team sport, one that's traditionally not as watched and popular here in North America, this is exactly the kind of guy that the ATP needs to be promoting and plastering all over the place. And, you know, it's true that Nick Kyrgios can also bring new fans to the table, but I like Francis Tiafo because I feel he brings fans for the right reasons and he doesn't need, you know, negative publicity. He doesn't need a bad attitude. He doesn't need to be mouthing off to fans. It's all positive with him. So I think he's great for the game. I'm super happy to see him in the top 10. And even though I'm Canadian, you know, growing up, there was always an American uh, male presence in the top 10, whether it was McEnroe Connors for me when I was really little, uh, moving into Sampras, Agassi, Courier, Chang. I mean, there's so many of them. Uh, It's great to see American tennis on the men's side. I mean, the women's side has been super strong all the way through, I feel like. But on the men's side, it's really nice to see them have two in the top 10 um and and let's see what he can do but he's won titles uh, what is he won titles on all surfaces now um yeah so kudos to him must be feeling absolutely terrific i think fans in toronto are gonna have a great time watching him he's he's at the point now where he enters any tournament this summer on hard court or these grass court ones and you got to throw his name in the mix as a genuine contender yeah, and and look, last year he upset Stefano Tsitsipas in the first round of Wimbledon, so he's he's capable, or maybe it wasn't last year, the prior year, but he, he's capable of a big-time win like that. And some of the results from the past week had, had me thinking, like, we, we know Novak Djokovic is the favorite for Wimbledon, and he's not going to even play a tune-up tournament. We know why that bother? doesn't matter exactly yeah. why bother, but you look at some of the other players that we would maybe throw their name into the hat, and Daniil Medvedev losing to Adrian Manorino early. Stefano Tsitsipas lost his first match on grass to Richard Gasquet. Yannick Sinner losing to Ruzivori. Taylor Fritz going out to Fuksovic. Matteo Berrettini, a Wimbledon finalist, losing to Senego. So 
I'm wondering who are the other guys that we can trust to be consistent on this surface? Because it feels like a lot of them still have to figure it out. Yeah, they're not really giving us a confident vibe, are they, at the, the early goings? But I, I got to say, it's so badass that Djokovic is not even playing any warm-up events. And he's not the first, <laughs> you know, the first top player to do this. But, you know, mm-hmm. I would say from his perspective, well, what's the point of, of going and maybe even risking injury when you're so focused on the slams at this point? And you know the surface so well, and you've tasted success there time and time and time again. And there's so much on the line. And, I mean, he was asked about the possibility of a calendar slam following his win at Roland Garros. I don't want to say Wimbledon's a lock, but it's as close a thing to a lock as you're going to find. It's like Sviantec at Roland Garros to me. It's that level. Actually, it's even it's even more because he's won Wimbledon way more times than she's won the French at this stage. Um, and then it's going to be, you know, again, probably we're going to get down to the U.S. Open. How does he manage that pressure, you know, as he wasn't quite able to do against Medvedev a couple of years ago? Uh, but I, I don't see anyone who's, I don't think you catch him on a bad day on grass. It's best of five as well. Uh, it's True. a huge ass. Some people have said, well, Nick Kyrgios, well, I don't buy that. He hasn't played a tennis match in how many months now? His knee's still not, you know, allowing him to compete even in a warm-up tournament at this point. Alcaraz, I don't think, has enough under his belt there, track record on, on the surface. Don't think he feels nearly as comfortable as he would need to be as he would on another surface against Djokovic. I don't know. Who do you got in there, Ben? Well, I was going to say, mate, like we have to see with Alcaraz, who's in Queens Club and had to grind out a tough win against Rinderknecht, uh, 7-6 in the third. So he's still definitely learning the surface. Medvedev, I want to see if he responds actually in Hala because he actually had a really good grass court campaign last year, but didn't have the option to compete because of his Russian nationality. So he'll get that option this year. And he's had such an unusual season where he's been incredible everywhere but the slams that you'd think at some point it comes together in the best of five format because he's been one of the best players in the world for the bulk of the year. His two flops in tournaments have really been Australia and then the French Open losing first round. So I'm curious, can can he make a bit of a push and, and figure this out? Uh, Alcaraz as, as well. I just obviously have to see more with him. It seems like there's less grass court specialists as well. And I know we kind of said this during the clay court swing too. Yeah less clay court specialist like it's more of like an even playing field obviously some players have a little bit more comfort or discomfort on certain surfaces but back in the day you know you had sam query and, and the scud mark Philippoussis, all those big servers i mean it seems like the grass grass courts have been slowed i think that's been the general vibe in in recent years maybe on purpose i guess to sort of in, increase the level of parity on the tour but uh yeah i just i struggle to come up with players who Oh, we'll look out for these few guys because this is their bread and butter this time of year. Uh, obviously, one player we should mention who excels on the surface and and has kind of gone down to the minor leagues a little bit to start his grass court season is Andy Murray, back-to-back mm-hmm. challenger titles and uh, was almost on the cusp of being seated at Wimbledon but uh, fell this week early on in the tournament he was playing. So I don't think now mathematically he can be seated for Wimbledon, which is too bad because that would have given him maybe a little bit of grace early in the tournament to to dig into that best of five format. But uh, what, what can we expect from Andy Murray, who, uh, you know, is still, I think, in best of three, a threat at any grass court event for sure. Definitely. I, I mean, look, for him to win 10 matches in a row, even if he's at the challenger level, uh, I mean, he was still beating quality players, Kubler, Jordan Thompson, who Thompson, we know, beat Milos Raonic there. Uh, Hyun Chung, who actually made a surprise return to the court and lost to Murray. And then in Nottingham, 
had some had some good wins. Uh, Dominic Stricker's a good player. He beat him in straight sets. Uh, for me, certainly, grass is his best surface. You look at the success winning Wimbledon twice there, 2013-2016. So he's had his best slam success at Wimbledon. I, look, I think if he has a manageable draw, maybe maybe a second week, like not a deep run, but I think the second week is feasible for Murray. Uh, d- depending on how the draw shakes out, he looks healthy and fit. The fact that he's been able to play tournaments in succession without issues to his body, which I think we saw the prior couple of years is a really good sign. Maybe a quarterfinal is is possible. I just love that he's still out there doing this. And, and I love the confidence that he has on grass too. He said at the start, we were a couple of weeks ago. Anyways, he still considers himself like a, a top 10 kind of guy on this surface. And uh, with his experience and the fact, let's not, you know, forget that many of these grass court warm-up tournaments and Wimbledon obviously are all held in the UK. He's got that crowd support behind sure. him. You know, they're going to be there to, to kind of lift him up as well. So um, I, I hope he has a decent run. I, I don't think making the second week is out of the question. It'll also depend on where he gets placed in that draw if he's not seated. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, he could get Novak Djokovic in the opening round, you know? So <laughs> yeah. stranger things have, have happened, right? Um, but yeah, for me on the men's side, that's that's kind of a good wrapping up point right there. And and let's conclude by looking at uh, the WTA side of things. And, you know, I'm looking at the, the list of female Wimbledon winners in recent years. And other than Elena Rabakina from last year, we're missing a lot of the previous champs. Ashley Barty, 2021, retired. Simona Halep, 2019, still under suspension. Kerber, 2018, uh, just recently, I believe, uh, you know, became a mom. Garbine Muguruza, is she back? Or I forget, what's the latest with her? No, she's she's still in the midst of a layoff. Um, like, call it a mental timeout from tennis, really. So, right. And, and it's Serena it... Williams, right? 2015, yeah. 2016, Serena. <laughs> so they're... There are very few options there. I mean, Venus Williams, you got to think she's going to be in the draw. Venus, who just won a match on grass against Camila Georgie. We'll talk about that momentarily. That was fantastic. But there's very few people who've done it before. So uh, other than Rabakina, it's it's kind of wide open in that sense. I think it's completely wide open. And as you list a lot of those names, it strikes me like one sort of commonality happening with a lot of these champions is they were all, for the most part, experienced players on tour who have been on tour for at least a handful of years, which tells me, like, learning the grass court surface takes a bit of time. Yeah, look at, you know, Kerber and Halep, like seasoned veterans who've been around for a long time. Muguruza, I know winning in 2017, I mean, that's a handful of years ago, but still, she had already broken through and had success at a Grand Slam level before that title happened. Ashley Barty, of course, in 2021, um, already a phenomenal player. We remember Petra Kvitova years ago. Um, She's been great at Wimbledon, defeating Jeannie Bouchard. So, yeah, like I don't know if I have I don't know if I have a favorite right now, to be honest. I, I don't necessarily think Rebakin is gonna be the favorite. She's excellent on the surface. Then there are question marks around can Igish Fiontek figure out Wimbledon because it's the only surface she hasn't really been particularly impressive on in Grand Slams. So yeah, I, I honestly do think it's wide open. I like the fact that it's a little bit more unpredictable on the women's side. Isn't it funny how it seems like the men's and women's side, they can't always, they can't ever be the same. They can't, they're both right. predictable. They're both unpredictable. And so, <laughs> while we think Novak is the obvious favorite on the men's side, yeah, I like the fact that on the women's it can be a little bit more unpredictable. And, you know, clearly someone like Anz Jabur, who's done so well on grass yeah. the past couple of grass court seasons, you got to put her up there. And, and she's been rounding into sort of better form, I feel like, as this 2023 season uh, progresses. 
Um, I think both Bianca and Layla Annie, just to touch on our two big Canadian hopes, um, you know, it really hasn't clicked for either of them in singles completely yet this year. Yeah. Um, but I think either one is, again, a kind of player that no one's going to want to face off against. Uh, I think Rebecca Marino, I'm not talking as a champion here, but I think just to mention another Canadian, Rebecca Marino's got the game to to make it to a third or fourth round even on the grass at Wimbledon with that big serve. And she just seems like year after year since her most recent comeback has been getting stronger and stronger too. So I like her depending on what uh, what side of the draw she's on. And and Venus Williams, should we talk about the 43-year-old American legend? You know, you think, oh, she must be done now. Maybe she's not going to be coming back. And then out of the blue, oh, I'm going to play this grass court tournament and over three hours defeats, uh, you know, a very uh, proficient fast court player in Camila Georgie. Well, it's it's just amazing. Uh, even at the front end of the season, her first tournament of the year uh, of the year, which was in Auckland at the ASB Classic, she actually came back and won a match, beating Volanets in straight sets before losing in three sets to Zhu Lin, who ended up making an incredible run at the Australian Open. And Venus is actually somewhat active on her YouTube page. And and after that tournament, you know, she pulled out of the Australian Open, shared shared an update on YouTube saying, like, I felt like I was playing so great in practice and just wanted to update you guys that unfortunately, like, had a setback with an injury. And I really felt like I was trending in the right direction. So it was really, you know, revelatory to me that she feels still very strongly about her quality of tennis when she is healthy. Now you put on her, put her on a faster surface like grass. You know, she's a five-time Wimbledon champion. Her ball striking is still, you know, <laughs> incredible. For her to be Camila Georgie, who's one of the hardest hitters on the tour, seven six in the third, grinding it out. I think it's, I think it's an amazing story. Incredible. And you know, last summer here in Toronto, uh, for those of us who stuck around to see what I thought at the time might be her final match ever on a Canadian court. She lost in the opening round to Jill Teichman, 6-2, 6-3. And because of the rain delays that day, they pushed her match back so far. It didn't start until almost midnight. It mm-hmm. finished around 1 in the morning. You know, there was maybe 100 fans who stuck around to watch. And I thought, oh, what a shame that this is how her last match in Canada is likely going to go. Not that it was a loss, but just that it wasn't in front of a fuller stadium court. Well, now I'm thinking, why, why wouldn't she be back in Montreal in, in August? You know, that wouldn't surprise me anymore. Yeah, you're right. She seems keen on playing more. And we, we should mention, because we talked about it before starting the recording, like, I think a pretty fun blockbuster match, by the way, coming up for her at the Birmingham Classic, that Thursday she'll be playing Yelena Ostapenko, the number two seed. That's going to be a heavy hitting affair, which will be pretty interesting. I, I'm excited to see can Venus hang with her and, uh, you know, re- resist the power and pace that Yelena has on the ball. That'll be a fun one. Nothing would surprise me. Absolutely nothing would surprise <laughs> me. And, and I, I hope we do have plenty of surprises the next two weeks leading up to Wimbledon. And uh, my favorite tournament, favorite slam for sure of the year. Uh, I'm getting goosebumps just uh, just talking about it with you. Oh, 100%. Uh, just quickly on Bianca Andrescu. Uh, she'll be in action as well this week uh, at the gra- at the Berlin Grass Court Championship set to take on Marketa Vondrasova. You might see that match uh, as you're listening to this podcast, to be honest. And Felix Ojealiasim, unfortunately, pulling out of Halle as he's resting his knee injury. Denis Shapovalov getting a first round win. He's set to take on Sasha Zverev. A lot of action happening this week. We will be in touch with you guys next time. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. Talk to you guys later.